right, so today we have a live scriber during our message time. So this is Graham, one of our favorite live scribers. So, yeah, Graham, why don't you go ahead and get started? Oh, that's not how it works. I'm supposed to talk and then he writes. That's, oh, I forgot. So I've been on vacation a little bit, and I'll get back to that in just a minute. But a um, lot, of, lot of eventful things going on, kind of an eventful season in my life and the church's life these days. So we just got done with 30 parties in 30 days. There aren't any more parties. You know, if you're like, I'm going to go to one in November, you'll have to host your own just because you're kind of over. But how fun it was to be able to celebrate 30 parties over 30 days uh, to celebrate 30 years of God, what God's doing among us here at Lakeside Church and in our region. Really some fun stuff. I got to go to about 22 or 23 of those parties. And uh, yeah, insane, man. In- insane, but so much fun. And to see people uh, who hosted parties, some people uh, blocked off their cul-de-sac and invited everybody in. And sometimes the parties were just a quiet dinner around a kitchen table. And so a lot of variety in those things and a lot of different telling stories about what Jesus is doing among us and what he has done among us and things. So really, really fun. And if you were one of our hosts, thank you so much for hosting one of those parties. That's a gift you gave to the rest of us. So thank you for doing that. And we're probably not done partying yet. Just we're done with the 30 and 30. We're next time, well, wait, wait 30 years and we'll come back to the 30 and 30. We'll do, here's a deal. How about this? At 60 years, let's do 60 parties in 60 days. I'm out, but you're in. So it's all, it's good. So think I'm out. Uh, we'll see about that. All right, so um, we have been talking about, oh, I, there's other things I have to tell you. I almost got distracted. I have a granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's little Penelope. I told you about her. It's been almost four weeks since she was born. She'll turn four on uh, Tuesday, four weeks. And um, she's gaining weight. She's it's, it's all good, right? She's gaining weight. I know you've been praying for her and stuff. Yeah, so you want to clap for that? Because <laughs> I do. If you were to gain rate, weight at the same rate at which she is currently gaining weight, you would be horrified. <laughs> She's put on like 25% of her body weight, you know, in the last four weeks. So she went from two pounds, six ounces, and now she's over three pounds. So, yeah, it's exciting. The doctor told her mother that she has a boring baby, which in the NICU is exactly what you're going for. Boring is what you're wanting. So she's boring. So it's really, really good, which is the only time you put those two words together. So anyway, so thanks for your prayers for her. That's really been a great, huge blessing in our family's life these days. All right, now, so we've been, we've been talking about the life of Jesus, and if you come to Lakeside very much, you're, you're like, well, we always talk about Jesus, and that's as it should be. We're his church, so we talk about Jesus, but sometimes we talk about him kind of in a roundabout way, like we'll look at the Old Testament, and then that points toward Jesus, or we'll look at some of the letters that are written in the New Testament, and they sort of point back to Jesus, and, and then look forward to how do we serve him and things, but these days we're talking specifically about Jesus and his life from the perspective of his disciple, Matthew. So Matthew wrote a story. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. It's all about the life and ministry of Jesus. And we just thought, let's just, let's focus in on that. And let's really dial in on what Matthew says about Jesus. Now, Matthew's perspective of Jesus is that he's the king of the Jews. And he's the king of the world. And he's the king of the universe. Which is weird for us because we're not used to having kings in our world. We have democracy. We get to do what we want. We get to vote how we want. But that's not how it works when you have a king. 
Matthew says Jesus is the king of our lives, and so we have to follow him. We have to do what he says. We have to do what he asks us to do. That's what it's like when you have a king over your life, and we have one. His name is Jesus. Now, what we've been learning from the gospel of Matthew about Jesus is that the kingdom of heaven sneaks up on us. John the Baptist, when he came, he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he said it sneaks up on us. And when Jesus came, he, the things he showed us were the kingdom of heaven sneaks up on us. And so we started, and I thought, I think maybe since I've been on vacation, I, I thought, I better go back and give you some review because I've forgotten where we were. And I don't know if you have, but if I have, I suspect you have because I put a lot of time into this part. So, you know, let's just go back and, and relive the story. Now, the story of Jesus starts in Bethlehem, and you, you, you know that story, and we skipped over that part because we're coming to Christmas pretty soon. We'll get back to that then like we do every year, okay? But we started with the story where uh, John the Baptist comes, and he announces Jesus is coming, and his message was the kingdom of heaven is near. John was kind of a crazy prophet out in the desert. He wore camels, camels, camel hair-like uh, suits <laughs> or whatever, you know, Camel hair robes, I don't really know what it looked like. And he, and he ate gr- grasshoppers and honey. And that's, a little, that's a little strange, right? And he's out in the desert, and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is near, and he points the way to Jesus. And what, one of the things we learned from John the Baptist's ministry was that if heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. If you think you've got heaven dialed in, if you think you've got God dialed in, you go, I know who God is, and I know what he's like. If heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. If it stops surprising you, you stop thinking about heaven. If heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. And then we started looking toward the life of Jesus from John the Baptist. And we, and we found out in Jesus' generation, there were sort of two groups of people. You know how everyone divides, like there's two, there's two kinds of people in the world, or there's two kinds of cereal in the world, or there's, you know, it's two something. Well, there's two kinds of people in Jesus' generation. One group were a group called Judeans. And the Judeans lived primarily up in Jerusalem and the mountain area in the southern part of the nation of Israel. And and they sort of thought highly of themselves. They were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests. They were kind of the religious leaders. and, And they looked like they've got it all dialed in, like we know who God is. Heaven never surprised them, they thought. And they kind of looked, on, looked down on everyone who wasn't a Judean, but there were these people up in the northern part of the country. They were called Galileans. And the Judeans looked down on them like, yeah, you don't, you don't really do it right, and you don't have it all dialed in, and you don't have all the, the theological perspective you're supposed to have. But it turns out that Jesus was a Galilean. And we found out that sometimes in our world these days, we who are Jesus followers end up looking at ourselves like we're Judeans, like we end up having a Judean perspective, and we go to the world, we've got it all dialed in, and you don't. We treat everybody who's not one of us like an outsider, like we're Judeans and they're Galileans, but we have to remember that Jesus also was a Galilean. And that perspective matters as we live live our lives in this world. We found out that Jesus told a lot of stories. We call them parables. Parables are just stories with a point. They're, parab- they're, they're stories that, they're, they're where Jesus is trying to get us to understand something about the kingdom of heaven. And so we tell these parables, and they were about how the kingdom of heaven needs to get activated on earth. And when the kingdom of heaven gets activated on, on earth, lives are changed. 
So our whole mission is to transform people into followers of Jesus. And when, when we hear the stories of Jesus and, and the kingdom of heaven gets activated among us, lives get changed. So we have this, we've had this, this display up here over the platform this whole, during this whole series. And uh, if you're newer with this, maybe you missed the explanation of that. There are over 1,600 ribbons from that display, hanging from that display. And every one of those represents a life that was baptized because they said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to let you change my life over the 30 years of Lakeside's history. And I go, that's just the coolest thing. And I, I know we love, to, we love to be creative and express things creatively, and we love to make change and things. I'm like, oh, I just want that one to stay longer because it's so amazing. And it's all about life changes happen. A lot of you are ones who've been baptized, and your life is represented by a ribbon up here. And I just find that amazing. And next Next weekend, we're going to baptize some more people, and we're going to put ribbons up there for them. And their lives are going to, their baptism is going to tell us that their life is being transformed by faith in Jesus. That's just amazing. Lives get changed when we follow Jesus because in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus makes broken things whole, which is a beautiful gift because the world is full of brokenness. The world is full of broken things. The world is full of broken people. And the church, in fact, is full of broken people. And sometimes it's hard to see on the weekend because you all dress up. Well, some of you dress up. (laughs) And you try and look good, you know, and like everyone looks at you and they go, oh, they got it all dialed in and my life's not dialed in. Maybe I don't belong. Look, every one of us is broken. But in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus makes broken things whole. Yet even when he makes them whole, the storms keep rolling in. We talked, right before I went on vacation, we talked about storms that come into our lives. And remember, Jesus was walking on the water. Really amazing thing. It's hard to walk on water when it's calm, but Jesus walked on it when it's stormy. I don't know if that makes any difference or not. But remember, Peter was in the boat with the disciples, and he's like, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come walk on the water. Because he wanted really to walk on the water, which, like, that would be so great. But we found out the goal is not to walk on water. The goal is to get Jesus in your boat. That's what really matters. And the storms keep rolling in. So on my vacation... I had two weeks scheduled off, and I'd been planning a trip for about a year. We've been planning a trip to go to Utah, to the national parks in Utah, like Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon National Park. And Don and I were going to camp, which was going to float her boat, and we were going to hike, which was going to float her boat. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun together. And uh, really, we were looking forward to it. But then some things came in, some, some storms came into our lives, and so... Uh, a mentor of mine, a pastor of mine that I worked with, served with when I was uh, in Santa Cruz before we moved here to Folsom to start Lakeside 30 years ago. He passed away, and his family asked if I would come and officiate his service, which is a huge honor to do, but it cut into that vacation, and we thought, oh, maybe we won't be able to go. And then little Penelope, our granddaughter, was born, and it's like, well, we're not going. We're going to stay right here and be close to her, and so that's good. And so we thought, okay, now our vacation is going to get changed around, so let's Let's do a little staycation thing, and let's sort of stay close to home. And we decided on the, on the first day of vacation, we'd take a little motorcycle ride and go, go spend the night in Sonora and then come back the next day and still be close by for the baby and things. And so we got our motorcycles out. We, we both have motorcycles, Donna and I both. You know, people find out we have motorcycles, and they go, 
does, does Donna have her own? I'm like, yeah, she's not going to ride on the back. <laughs> yeah, says her, and, and I'm not riding on the back. So we both have them. So we got on our motorcycles, and we went down towards Sonora, and we got to Jackson, and we got into a space where we had to make a little turnaround, and uh, Donna had an unplanned, unfortunate meeting with the asphalt that day. She dropped her bike, low speed, low speed accident, but she dropped her bike, and she fell over and landed on her elbow, which pushed her arm up into her shoulder and broke her shoulder. So that was first day of vacation. And so this last Tuesday, Donna had total shoulder replacement surgery. And the storms keep rolling. I, I think of my wife. We sang a song today. Uh, I need a savior to hold me. Pick me up off the ground. I need, a, I need you, Jesus, to catch me and remind me of the love that I found. We talked about... Uh, when storms come in our life, we talked about this before that vacation, before that accident. We said, when you're a follower of Jesus, you have to learn to worship Jesus. The wind is still blowing. When it's still stormy, when the waves are still steep and rough and the water's all around and the wind is blowing, you have to learn to worship Jesus while the wind is still blowing. You can't just, you can't just say, God is good when life is all good. I have friends, and they say this in, in great sincerity and honesty, and I, I respect that a lot. But people will say, when everything's really up and to the right and everything's beautiful, they're like, isn't God good? And I, I always agree with them. I'm like, yeah, God is good, but I always want to go back to them when you know, life's not so good, and I want to hear them say it again. Isn't God good? Because the truth is, if God is good when your life is good, God must still be good when your life is not so good. Or he's not God. You've created some other image of God. If God is only good when your life is good, you've created some other image of God that is not based on the scriptures. It's not based on the character of God. And when the storms come, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is... God calls us to live in such a way that we learn to worship Jesus while the wind is still blowing. And I'm, I'm practicing. That's my life these days. I'm practicing, and my wife is practicing. And I believe God is good. In the midst of this, God is good, absolutely good, all the time. That's what I'm learning about Jesus these days. And everything, everything we're talking about in the story of Matthew is stuff that is, like, right, right down my alley because I need all these things we're talking about. Then Sean, when I was gone, Pastor Sean did a great job talking about how Jesus does things in our lives and he wants them to, to like leak out into our oikos, into our network, and how other people can be influenced by the things that God does in us. And then Pastor John led us last weekend into Matthew 16, which is an amazing story. And I, I want to start there with moving into Matthew 17 today. I just want to make sure you remember where we were last week. So, so Jesus has all of his disciples up in, a, in the way up in the northern part of Israel at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea, there was this pagan shrine there. 
And, and people would come in, they would offer sacrifices to their pagan gods in, as they worshipped them. And Jesus had his disciples there and he said, this is a good time to ask them a question. He said to them, who do people say I am? And they gave him all kinds of answers, like some people think you're John the Baptist who came back to life, and some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're the prophet who's supposed to show up, and they gave him all these answers. And then Jesus dialed it in right on them. He goes, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter takes this moment, of course, to speak up as a spokesman for the group, and he goes, oh, I know this one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, ding, 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 right, Peter, you got one. Now, I don't remember that happening before, but you got one. Good job. And then he, and then he goes, and, and God has blessed you because you didn't, you didn't make that up yourself. God gave that to you. You don't land on the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. You don't land on the idea that Jesus is the Son of God unless God puts that into your heart. He goes, God blessed you with that, Peter. It's awesome. And then Jesus changed the conversation because up until this time when Jesus was teaching, he, he tended to teach people this, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Same message John the Baptist had been giving, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is nearby. And now Jesus comes and he goes, the kingdom of heaven is near. But once, G, once Peter and the other disciples had landed on this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, then Jesus gave them the rest of the message which was the Son of Man, which was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He said the Son of Man is going to be arrested and crucified on a cross, and on the third day he will come back to life. And the first time Peter heard that, was right after Jesus said, good job, Peter, you figured out who I am, or God showed you who I am, good job. And the first time Peter hears this thing from Jesus that, that, that the Son of Man is going to die on a cross and then rise on the third day, whatever that is, Peter got in Jesus' face and he said, that will never happen to you. I won't let that happen to you. Jesus, you'll never die on a cross. And Jesus responded to Peter by saying, you, get behind me, Satan, I'm like, Jesus, you could have softened that a little. You know, like, like get behind me, Bubba. You know, I, you know, the get behind me is okay, but calling him Satan. Have you ever walked in the room and someone's pipes up and they go, speak of the devil? You ever, you ever think that might not be the nicest thing to say about somebody? He goes, get behind me, Satan. How, how much do you think that stung Peter, who loved Jesus amazingly and just had finally gotten out of his mouth? He said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, but you're not going to get crucified. No, that, no way I'm going to let that happen. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, that stung. And then you come to Matthew chapter 17, which is where we are today. If you have your Bible, why don't you pull it out and look at Matthew 17, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some uh, notes for you on the, on the Uversion Bible app in your phone. If you want to pull your phone out, if, you, if you've got your tablet, you want to pull that out. If you've got your laptop or your desktop, you know, <laughs> whatever you brought today to follow along is fine. Matthew chapter 17 picks the story up right after that. Here's what it says. After six days, so Peter's been smarting over that thing, hurting over that thing for six days. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. All right, let's just, let's just stop and figure out what's going on here. Six days after, after Jesus said, after Peter said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus said, yeah, but I'm going to die on a cross. You need to know that. And Peter said, no, you're not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Six days after that, Jesus comes to Peter and James and John. He says, hey, you three, let's go on a hike together. They were way up in the northern part of Israel at this time, so probably the mountain they hiked up was Mount Hermon. It's 9,000 feet tall, has snow on it almost all year round. It's the tallest mountain in Israel. And Jesus says, let's take a hike together to these three guys. So they go up this mountain. We don't know how high they got up the mountain. Maybe they got to the top, maybe not quite to the top. I don't know. But they go up this mountain, and while they're there, Jesus changed. Matthew says his face began to shine like the sun. And we're not talking like during an eclipse. We're like the real sun. His face began to shine like the sun. His clothes became white like light. When we, when we talk about something being as white as something, we use white as in, in, in a comparative way. We, we usually say it's as white as snow. But what Matthew said it was his clothes became white as light. There's this amazing glow while Jesus somehow, and nobody knows how this happened. Nobody knows exactly what this looked like. But somehow, Jesus dropped the veil of his humanity for a while and let his glorious God shine through so that Peter and James and John could see it. Jesus became the ultimate shiny thing. And you go, no, that's, that's disrespectful of who Jesus was. Yeah, but that's who, that's who Peter and James and John saw. They're like, oh, wow, we like this. And all of a sudden, not only is Jesus shining like the sun and his clothes like light, but now Moses and Elijah, two Old Testament big shots, show up and they're standing there talking with Jesus. It's amazing what happens right there. God shows up in Jesus in all of his glory. And I, and I picture Peter thinking in his mind, it's like, I knew it. I knew it. When I told Jesus he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, I knew this was going to happen someday. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. What he's saying is, I want to be here forever. Let's make houses. We, we don't even need them. We'll just make them for you guys. You're the important ones. Let's make houses and, and we'll just stay here forever. I want to be on this mountain forever. It's like you go on a retreat. We have women up at the women's retreat up in Lake Tahoe today or this weekend, right? And, and, and they're coming back today and they're so sad because <laughs> they're coming off the mountain. You know, they're up there like, let's stay up here forever, at least till Monday. And here's Peter out there on, the Mount, on Mount Hermon in the, in, the, in the midst of this thing where Jesus is transfigured before them. And he wants to stay there forever. He goes, Jesus, could I, could I just build some huts, you know, one for each of you three? Now, Matthew doesn't say this, and I'm trying to take most of our thoughts from Matthew's perspective. But just have to say to you, the Gospel of Mark also tells this story. And... Uh, Biblical scholars believe that Mark actually wrote down the memoirs of Peter. So Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was actually with Jesus. He saw these things happen, not this event because he wasn't up on the mountain, but, you know, the rest of Jesus' life story. He saw that. But Mark wasn't one of his 12 disciples, but Peter was. And so we think that maybe Mark wrote down Peter's thoughts and memoirs when he told his story. And Mark records about this moment. 
He says, Peter said that. Lord, can I make three huts for each of you? You know, can we, can we stay here forever? Mark says when Peter said that, it was because he was speechless and didn't know what to say. You ever been, you ever been speechless? Some of you are glib. You're like, yeah, you, you're like, I, I never, I'm never at a lack for words. You know, I, some of you are like that. Sometimes, but sometimes I get speechless. I remember I, had a, I have a buddy who used to be the uh, marketing manager, um, like, the, like the, I think it was marketing manager for one of the um, Sacramento Kings. Back, this was back in the day when they used to play at Arco Arena. So one of the Kings' name was Lionel Simmons, and this guy was the marketing manager. He did all the business contracts, commercial contracts for him. And so he had a backstage pass to the arena. And so one day he took me to a basketball game, and, and we got to go backstage before or after the game sometime. I don't, I don't remember. Those details are foggy to me. But I remember we got in this elevator backstage. You know, only people can get in the elevator are people that are back there already. So I'm like, <laughs> pretty cool. And we're standing stand there in the elevator. We pushed it on the floor that we wanted to go to. The doors hadn't shut yet. And all of a sudden, this guy walks in, and he's tall. <laughs> Turns out he was a King's rookie that year. His name was Walt Williams. He's six foot eight. And I am not. <laughs> and when he walked in, I stared straight at his belly button. And I'm, I'm right there with Walt Williams, and I'm speechless. I got nothing to say. You know, what do you say? What do you say to a basketball player that walks in the elevator? You got 30 seconds. I'm like, nice navel, dude. <laughs> what do you say, right? I mean, good layup. I don't, I don't know what to say, so I'm the, uh. well, so Peter, he's, he's different than I am. Usually, if I don't know what to say, I just stop talking. But he, Peter, he doesn't know what to say, but he speaks anyway. You ever do that? He goes, this is so great. I want to stay here forever. Jesus, could we make three huts? I'll make three huts, one for each of you guys. We can just stay here forever. That would be amazing. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This bright cloud comes and covers them. One, one translation of that is this bright cloud came and cast a shadow on them. I'm like, how does something that's bright cast a shadow when it's directly shining on you? The only way that thing casts a shadow is because Jesus is behind it. And this bright cloud cast a shadow on the disciples. And out of that cloud, a voice came and said this, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's the voice of heaven. That's the voice of the Father. I don't know. Do you picture that? You know, when you read that, you don't, you don't hear my voice when you're reading that. I, I, hear, I hear James Earl Jones. <laughs> I am his father. Oh, no, that's Darth Vader. That's a different. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have the voices down so much. But here's, here's the voice of God to the disciples regarding his son standing there on the mountain. This is my son. Peter goes, I know. I already told him that last week. I'm like, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He goes, I already got that part. This is my son whom I love. And you're like, yeah, but he loves all of us. Agreed. But there's, 
I mean, I agreed, right? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he what? He gave his son. Which one? The one he loves. There's something unique about God's relationship with Jesus. There's something unique about his love for his son, even though he loves all of us. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Which really simply means that when the father thinks of the son, he smiles a lot. Listen to him. Here's a direct message from God the Father to disciples of Jesus, to followers of Jesus, which now includes us. Here's a direct message from God to us. He says, listen to him. What I find in navigating my own life as a follower of Christ and then bumping into a lot of other people who are followers of Christ, I find that a lot of us listen to what we think Christ is saying. We get in our imagination something that we think, oh, this is what, this is what Jesus must be saying. And so we, we make some stuff up and then we sanctify it and we bless it and we go, this came from God. And the Father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It matters that we listen to what Jesus says. It matters that we hear what he says. And you'll find that even the disciples missed some of the things that he said. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I love that Jesus comes up. Here's his disciples. They're flat on their face because this cloud, after, after the shiny Jesus and Moses and Elijah showing up, that didn't frighten them enough. Now this cloud comes with a voice, and when they hear the voice, they hit the deck, and they're face down on the ground. And Jesus, I love this, he comes up to them, and he touches them. I mean, I, I could see Jesus going, come on, you guys, let's go. It's time to go. Get, get moving. No, first thing he did was he touched them. There was a compassion about Jesus, which is amazing. He touches them, and then he says some things to them. He says, he says, get up. Now, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He says, get up. It's the same word that is used for the word when Jesus said the, the, the Son of Man will be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. On the third day he will get up. It's the same word. He says to his disciples, rise. And then he says, don't be afraid. Fear will not take you where you need to go these days. Which is really interesting to me because we live in such a fearful world. We fear so many things in our world these days. None of them are nearly as powerful as Jesus or the voice of God from heaven, but we fear all these things these days in our culture. He says, do not be afraid. Fear will not take you where you need to go. And then he says, and don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the grave. 
Don't tell. We've heard that part before. We've heard that from Jesus before during the series, haven't we? Right? There, like there, one of the, there were several cases where it happened. Well, one of the cases was Jesus was in Capernaum, and the synagogue leader came to Jesus, and he said, my daughter's sick. You need to come. Would you please come heal my daughter? And Jesus goes, yeah, let's go. And so they get on the way. But on the way, this woman intercepts Jesus, and she's sick, and she wants, she wants to be healed as well. And that stops Jesus. And while Jesus is compassionately helping her, a messenger comes from the synagogue leader's house, and he says, your daughter's already died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus said, never mind that, let's go anyway. And so he goes to the man's house where the little girl is, and the house is surrounded by mourners who are grieving over this lost child. And Jesus says to them, don't, don't weep for her anymore. She's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laughed at him because they're like, we know dead. And Jesus goes into the house with Peter and James and John, those same three disciples that he ends up taking up on the mountain. He goes in with them and with mom and dad, and he finds the little girl, and she's dead and Jesus says to her little girl get up rise just like resurrection and she breathed she came back to life Jesus gave her back to her mom and dad and then he said what don't tell anybody (laughs) how long did that last so they got to the front door and they went to all those mourners who had already come to grieve for this little girl they go she's alive Now Jesus comes down the mountain with these disciples, and he, he, he goes, don't be afraid. And then he says, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been raised from the grave. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. But the disciples never heard the last part. Verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? I'm like, whoa, whoa, Peter, when did you become a theologian? What's with the, what's with the Bible question? All the, why does the scripture say that Elijah must come first? That's so weird. Jesus just talked about his resurrection. It's like, well, then why does Elijah have to come first? He's, try, he's trying to figure out some theological conundrum they had in that generation. And, you know, I can't be too hard on Peter because when I come to this passage, I've been reading this passage for 40 years or so. When I come to this passage, I always come up with a question. It's not why does Elijah have to come first. My question when I come to the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, my question is always how did Peter and James and John know that was Moses and Elijah? I mean, right? They never met him. They, they didn't even live at the same time, and they didn't live at the same time with the disciples. How they know? And I'm like, but that's irrelevant. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been raised back to life. The question should have been something like, Jesus, what is that about? What is resurrection about? We don't know this resurrection thing. See, the disciples got on this mountain with Jesus, and they wanted to stay there with Jesus forever. They wanted to stay on the mountain of power forever. They want that moment never to end in their lives because they're all about power. They're all about the shiny things in life. And what you find out about Jesus is that Jesus is king in ways more important than power. 
Jesus is king in ways more important than power. You're like, power's pretty important. But Jesus is king in ways more important than power. Look at verse 14. When they came down the mountain to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Jesus is king in ways more important than power. For example, Jesus is king in compassion. He comes from the spectacular on the mountain to the mundane back on the flatland. And he comes to this father whose son is terribly sick and terrorized by a demon. And Jesus compassionately heals that boy. He's king of compassion. But in the midst of that, he says to, this, to the people that were there and to his disciples, he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty strong too, Jesus. A pretty provocative statement you, you're making there. It doesn't mean perverse in the sense that we often mean it in our culture in sexual ways. It means twisted. You've twisted the kingdom of heaven. I told you the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven has come near you, but you've twisted what it's like. You don't live by faith. The kingdom of heaven is always lived out by faith. You have such little faith. You're my disciples. You already know that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm amazed that you live with so little faith. Because faith is normal in the kingdom of heaven. And the king of compassion calls them to a life filled with faith. And then he says this. Verse 22, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus reiterated the message. He said, we're going to head to Jerusalem, fellas. And when we get there, I'm going to be handed over to men. They will arrest me, and they will try me, and they will nail me to the cross. And that's the last thing the disciples heard. Because Matthew at the end says, and when they heard this, they were filled with grief. But twice in this story, Jesus has tried to tell them, I'm going to rise again. I'm not going to stay dead. That's going to be tragic. That's going to be awful. I understand all of that, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to rise again. And the father had set him up. He said, look, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to what Jesus actually says, not what you thought he was going to say. Not what you believed he might say. Listen to him. This is my son, whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
Jesus, I pray for us today in this. I pray that our ears would be better tuned to you. There are so many ways, Lord, in which we want you to fit into our schemes. We want you to fit into our way of thinking. There are so many ways in which we get distracted from who you really are and what you really say about yourself, and we miss it, and we miss you. And so, Jesus, my prayer is that we would hear, that we would listen to the Father's directions to, his, to, to your disciples, to us, to listen to your Son. Lord, may that be the character of every one of us as we go through this week, as we go through our lives, that we listen to you and we respond accordingly. Jesus, thank you. We love you. Amen.